All right. Hello, everybody. Hello, Internet. Mike and Andy here uh, from the Vox World headquarters, Brea, California, coming to you uh, as the Vox podcast um, at voxpodcast.com. We also have uh, the Vox uh, community uh, podcast at voxoc.com. And uh, we want to give a shout out to 35 brave souls who have become patrons of the Vox podcast and have generated over $1,000 a month, which we are so excited uh, that you are willing to support us in that way. Um, Your uh, gifts and presents... Um, when, when will they, when, when will they be organized and we'll start, uh, probably shipping some stuff out next week and, okay. uh, we'll continue kind of sending out the little bits here of incentives. Some of them have rolled out and we've got people joining, uh, the Facebook group we've set up and, nice. uh, yeah, it's, we've gotten some really great feedback. So, so far. that is, that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. If you want to, if you want to contribute five, 25, 50 or 50,000, Dollars a month. Um, we are at. You go to Patreon, right? Yeah, patreon.com slash vox podcast. Spell Patreon. P A T R E O N dot com slash vox podcast. So uh, today we've got some good stuff. Um, we we've spent. We started the podcast uh, October of uh, 2015, talking about LGBTQ issues, and um, and and so naturally when we formed uh, a community. Um, that our, our stance on that became more of an issue, um, in terms of how do we embody what we talked about initially in a kind of an official church community setting. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and after, um, loads of conversation and prayer and talking, uh, we, 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 we kind of decided to, the, the way we were going to put it is that um, we wanted to be a place where affirming and non-affirming people could love and serve, learn to love and serve each other. And, uh, and that that was our stance, even though I personally hold the traditional view. I didn't want people to be surprised by that or hurt by that. Um, uh, but that we as a community were going to make room around the table um, for affirming and non-affirming folks uh, to love and serve each other. So... Um, and, and as you can imagine, um, there are all sorts of questions that attach themselves to, to what that means <laughs> and how that, how that plays out. <laughs> and, uh, and we've got some, some, um, we've got all, all kinds of people in, in our community. Um, we've got, uh, probably five or six different families who have children that have come out. Um, we've got a couple of transgender individuals. We've got, um, some, some, uh, same sex married folks. We've got same sex dating folks. We've got same sex and celibate folks mm-hmm. and same sex attracted. I mean, um, and, uh, and we've got folks that are very uncomfortable having those other people, right. uh, in our community. And so, yeah. um, very, very interesting dynamic. And, and it feels Jesus-y to me, um, because it is, uh, it's it's kind of driving everybody to uh to, towards what is most important and what's most central and what actually unifies us, but also to learn to listen to the other stories and to you know love and serve each other. I mean, shockingly. Right. So, um, I got an, uh, an email or an email sent to me from a friend that was a forward, and uh, and my friend is he's still working through being okay with this with this uh, posture. So the the article he sent me was an article that uh, that had this as kind of the tagline: Can Christians agree to disagree 
on culture's most controversial topics? The answer, well, when it comes to certain issue, the answer is no. Okay, so so this is gonna this is gonna argue um, that that to agree to disagree around the issue of homosexuality is not a proper stance for a church to take. Okay. So um, so I want to read the article. It's not very long, and uh, and then I want to respond to it because I think it's it raises a bunch of great questions. And, um, and raises some points. And, and for me, I'm always, I'm very open to, um, what other people are thinking and feeling and, and, uh, you know, we, we, we don't intend on our, um, our posture in this to kind of be the last word on anything. You know, we, we're trying to figure it out as we go, but, but it'll help clarify. Mm -hmm. So let me read the article. All right. The article is from Breakpoint, which is, uh, Chuck Colson back when Chuck Colson was alive. Um, Okay, so for years, a steady drumbeat of Christian pastors, musicians, and authors have announced they've evolved on the issue of homosexuality. Authors like Matthew Vines, more recently Jen Hatmaker of Mommy Blogger fame, um, uh, musician Nicole Nordeman, mm-hmm. I don't know who that is, and Yale philosopher Nicholas Wolterstorff, who I definitely know who he is, argue that the Bible doesn't actually condemn same-sex marriage. Christians, they say, should bless such unions as holy. Many of them have said that even if we don't agree about this, we should make it a big deal. We can, quote, agree to disagree, they say. Typically, they offer one of three reasons for this. All right, so reason number one, this issue is like uh, other theological issues. The mode of baptism, worship styles, wine versus grape juice during communion, in other words, homosexuality is a matter of preference, an area where believers can respect one another's differences. Then he responds, but this doesn't make sense for either side. Advocates of same-sex marriage, and he puts that in quotes, so he's kind of, he's kind of letting you what he thinks about this. Advocates of same-sex marriage say it's a human right. If that's true, the traditional view is not just mistaken, it's dangerous. Opponents of that say that acts of homosexuality are sinful. If that's true, then Christians can't agree to disagree either. The second, the second reason people give, um, we often hear that the church is evolving on this issue, especially every time a Christian celebrity changes their minds. But the vast majority of evangelicals still hold the traditional view. And many institutions are coming out, universities or nonprofits or um Christian aid organizations are are clarifying their stance as holding the traditional view. Mm-hmm. Um, denominations, the vast majority of denominations, um, do not hold that same-sex marriage is an option for um, practicing Jesus followers. Um, but some will reply, he says, that if Christians don't all agree on what marriage is, you can't say there's such a thing as a Christian position. His response But Christian truth isn't made of what people uh, who call themselves Christians say. It's revealed truth made known through creation, through scripture, ultimately through Christ, each of which are quite clear about what makes us male and female, what marriage is, and about sexual morality. Which is why Christians never questioned marriage until, in cultural terms, yesterday. Um, a post-sexual revolution claim just a few years old does nothing to negate the consistent Christian witness about marriage throughout all church history, which brings up the final argument. Now, again, these arguments 
um, in his mind, these are the arguments put forward by people who say, who say we should agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. He's disagreeing that we should not agree to disagree. Right. He's saying, no, 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 you've got to choose you a side pick on a this side. issue. Yeah. Um, and so he says, which brings up the final argument, quote, if marriage is a core part of Christian teaching, why isn't it in the creeds or in the councils? Why did no one talk about it until now? And he says the answer is that no one questioned what marriage is until now, uh, anywhere, much less in the church. And he goes on to talk about how very often it was only in response to questions or to false teachings that Christians would then organize a, a set of, and codify a set of beliefs. And this is the same way. It, you know, for the vast, for 2,000 years, the church's teaching and universal witness and scripture's teaching has been held to be that traditional marriage between one man, one woman, one lifetime, one covenant uh, is the only option for people to express sexuality within. Mm. Um, So this is the conclusion of the article. Uh, So next time someone says, let's just agree to disagree about this issue, say no, say no. Instead, let's agree to love each other and pursue the truth together. That's a much better way forward. So this was sent to me um, from a gentleman in our community who, who is, a, is a friend, who has a great heart, but I know is wrestling through, hey, is it okay that we're, that we're having the stints that we're having? Okay, so I want to respond to the article, and, and, uh, and I think this will, this will be a really interesting conversation. Andy Barrett, you okay mm-hmm. with that? Yeah, I absolutely think so. What, is, there, is it helpful to... Um do we set like a benchmark or a measure of what's the ramifications if we're wrong? Hold on a second, Andy. Don't, you don't get to drive this conversation. No, in, no. Okay. <laughs> I want to be really clear about this. I have objections and one of those is coming. Yeah. Okay. So you're hinting, you don't steal my thunder, man. Oh, I don't do it. Hey, don't, I come Andy in blind. Bear, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> and I do that on purpose. Andy has no, never any idea what we're going to talk about. And I love that because I always want is just authentic kind of real in time reactions. <laughs> so, yes, that is okay. a phenomenal question. Okay. Um, and uh, and if I don't, if you don't feel like I do a good enough job answering it, then bring it up at the end. Okay, you got it. All right. But I want to respond to the article because I, I think I think it's a very fair question. And I actually saw... Uh, the wonderful Gospel Coalition had a, another take on this, oh, no. so I didn't want to. I didn't want to spend any time uh, interacting with that one. But uh, so, so here are my objections, just to the article, not to my friend, not to my friend's concerns. This is just to the article as written. Great. Okay. First of all, uh, the, this article does not spend any time talking about the affirming side's best argument for why we should agree to disagree. Namely, that you can make a good theological and biblical case that what's being spoken about and prohibited in the Bible is not covenant, monogamous, lifelong, faithful, homosexual unions. What Mm -hmm. is being prohibited has to do with slavery and power and violation and pedestry and all of those sorts of things. So he doesn't even interact with the fact that there are very intelligent historians, theologians, and scholars who are saying, hey, yes, the Bible is universal in its condemnation of of, uh, what it condemns, but what it condemns is really the issue. Mm -hmm. It doesn't condemn faithful monogamous, lifelong um, uh, committed um, homosexual unions um, entered into by people who um, are orientated that way, who never chose that way, can the church uh, hold out an option for them? 
So, so he doesn't even address that. He says right. our, the biggest arguments to agree to disagree are, well, A, hey, uh, we're evolving on this. B, um, this is just like the mode of baptism or, um, or like bread and wine. Right. No, other people would say, no, 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 no. Th- those really are preferences. This is actually, um, we can make a good theological case that it, in context, the, the verses that seemingly speak out against homosexuality are speaking out a very specific form of same-sex behavior. Now, I don't personally find a lot of those arguments persuasive. I've read them. I understand most of them. Um, I interact with them. I got it. But the author doesn't even consider that as an option. That right. they're really That's like the home run argument, and that, that's like the one you got to yeah, go after. Right. Yeah. So, so to say... Um, that when I, when I look at like somebody like David Gushy, who is, who until recently held their traditional view, but he's a world-class Christian ethicist. I mean, I've got books on my bookshelf, um, who wrote a book called, I think, Why or How I Changed My Mind about this. You've got to take someone like that seriously. You just can't, you just can't say, well, he's got an agenda or, you know, whatever. You've got to take someone like that seriously. So I, the first thing I didn't like about the article is it didn't deal with the other side's best argument. Secondly, um, I don't know how this plays out. So if you're going to say that our view of homosexuality is not an agree to disagree issue, so you've got to pick a side. I don't know how this plays out practically. So, so uh, is, the, is, the, is the author then advocating that we make this a litmus test of orthodoxy? Because that's what I hear behind this. So mm. you can't agree to disagree. So now it becomes a litmus test, but a litmus test of what? Right. So, so and, and you see this coming. So, so your view on same-sex marriage is now held with the same sort of rigor as your view on the Trinity or the life of Jesus or the death of Jesus. Uh, is that really what we want to be doing? Because to say we can't agree to disagree on this means there is only one right answer. There's only one right Christian answer. And to not hold it means that you're wrong. Right. Um, and uh, and that's fine, okay? Because I, I see all over the New Testament, the apostles clearly advocating for correct doctrine. Um, so I have no problem with the fact that there are lines. The issue is, how does this relate on a practical level? So do our churches all need to have very clear in their belief statements, beliefs about marriage? And, um, and, and, and to what degree, if somebody buys every other doctrinal position you have, um, but they disagree with this one, is, this is the deal breaker then. Right. And, and, and so it, it carries with it the same rate as denying the Trinity, denying the Lordship of Jesus, denying the inspiration of the Bible. I mean, is that what we're saying? Yeah. Because that's logically to me where this goes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. Is, it's now a deal breaker. Uh-huh. Um, and, and OK. OK. If that's what we want to say. But I find it interesting then that we don't have statements on greed. I don't, we don't have statements on pride. We don't have statements on like the, the things that clearly are much more serious in God's sight, whether it's injustice or whatever. And, and uh, if you're going to make that moral issue a part of orthodoxy, then how many other moral issues do we need to make part of orthodoxy, right? Right. Um, uh, I've never been asked about my stance on greed, even though the vast majority of us um, in biblical terms are hoarders and we're greedy and Jesus would speak such condemnation against us. And we all go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but because we live in such a affluent society, there's always someone richer. Mm-hmm. So none of us feel rich because there's always someone more. Um, and so to me, I just go, okay, are we now elevating your view of marriage 
um, to the realm of orthodoxy. Um, and if, if that's true, then, okay, how about divorce remarriage, where Jesus is really clear? Um, um, how about porn? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, how far are we going to go with this? Because so, so, so to me, simply preaching against something and announcing we're opposed to it is not even remotely close to what mission demands if you're a Jesus follower. Yeah. That is just the absolute worst posture I can imagine people taking. Hey, guys, guys, just here's how we're going to handle the gay issue. We're just going to announce we're against it. We're not going to talk to anybody. We're not going to engage with anybody. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome as long as you just kind of don't ask, don't tell, um, and uh, and good luck. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's we've done our Christian duty by simply saying we're against it. Right. I just go, no, that's not your Christian duty. No, no, no. Even if you are against it, uh, mission, the, the Jesus followership demands incarnation, demands countercultural friendship, c- demands love of enemies. I mean, blah, 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 blah. So this... To just take what this person's saying and push it all the way out, I just disagree where it's headed. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's number two. And, and, and as a part of that, this is subpoint in number two, is how has that, we're not going to agree to disagree on this, how has that position done anything for gay people? Uh, in other words, I, I haven't met um, a gay person yet who's not had a bad experience with the church. And so, so to simply say, hey, we're not going to agree to disagree on this. We're going to hold the line on this. Okay, great. How has that, what kind, of, what kind of work has that done for us in our witness and in the sanctification of gay people uh, in our churches? I, I just don't, I think pro, preemptively saying we're, we, we're going to hold the line on this issue shuts off mission sanctification discipleship engagement in ways that are not helpful anymore yeah it's a yeah it's a line in the sand like it, it doesn't it's it's divisive and it pushes that whole that entire part of community away like i mean it's yeah that's all <laughs> <laughs> like, boom yeah, they're not there like they've left like that's it you know well, they, it's like churches that have made say, those stances to like, just say to just say hey we're against this yeah uh and to have that as a public statement it either it either so gay folks will never show up or because they're already there, they'll always stay in hiding. Yeah. Or if they do come out, um, what are they, what kind of community are they coming out into? Right. Mm-hmm. And what kind of harm has been done? So on. Yeah. So, so I can hear all the comebacks to everything I'm saying. So don't worry. I've anticipated some of your objections to my objections. Mm-hmm. That's coming. Thirdly, my third objection to the article about we're not going to agree to disagree on this moral issue is it's really inconsistent with how we handle other issues. So we've somehow worked it out so that we really don't fight a lot of divorce and remarriage issues. Even though if you're going to take Jesus very seriously, he's ruling out remarriage as an act of adultery, all right? Uh, He's saying remarriage is an act of adultery unless there's been marital infidelity. Paul opens up the idea of a death of a spouse. And then maybe you have a little biblical case for desertion, but that's as far as you go. And yet we're not having public statements and, and uh, about our our divorce stance on divorce remarriage. Now, maybe some Mm -hmm. conservative churches do. Maybe I'm just not aware of those. The churches I've been a part of have always operated under the don't ask, don't tell moniker right like mm-hmm. like we're not going to go invade your private life but please don't make your sin public <laughs> <laughs> and so so as long as oh. as long as we have that mutual agreement we're all great right 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 and and the churches are usually large enough that people can hide and you know whatever right 
Um, so for me, I just, because, because here's the objection I hear a lot to, to my view, which is, well, these gay people, they're coming and they're not convinced what they're doing is sin. We have to tell them it's sin. Right. And I, I just want to say how many greedy people are sitting there not convinced their greed is sin? How many prideful people and judgmental people and gossipy people and liars and cheats and freaking lusters and porn, porn addicts are sitting in our churches not convinced what they're doing is sin? And yet they can sit there in their sin. Whereas this one particular category, no. They've got to admit they, that they're in sin first. And I just go, we don't do that with anybody freaking else, right? I mean, I would sit at Rock Harbor, a church I was at years ago. I'd preach Song of Solomon, uh, which is this the, these series of erotic love poems. We talk about sexuality, and I'd still have people just look me straight in the face and say, I don't believe premarital sex is wrong. I just believe you got to test or have a car before you buy it. <laughs> I just, I, I, don't, I don't see any problem with living together. I see no problem mm-hmm. with this and this and this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, are, so is the posture then to just kick those people out to say, well, unless you hold the view on this, you're out. No, we let those people stay because we recognize that discipleship and sanctification is a process. We're not all going uh, at the same rate and at the same time. And man, if, if we're going to insist that someone acknowledge that their issue is sin before they're welcome in the community, then none of us are freaking in there. Damn it. It's so freaking hypocritical and double standardish. I can hardly stand it. I just kicked my microphone. <laughs> the office is falling apart now. <laughs> oh, the office is a disaster. Oh my lord! And and gay people rightly see the accommodations the church has made to divorce and remarriage, and they wonder what the heck. Yeah, really, you're going to fight this battle? But you, you, the the I mean, when I when my parents divorced in the seventies, it was in the seventies. No, it was in the eighties, early eighties. Um, no one, no one was getting divorced. Like that was a huge scandal. I was like one of the only children from a divorced home these days, right? The exception is that your family's still together. Yeah. (laughs) And so, and and so our churches are filled with divorced people, many of whom have remarried and are not convinced that they shouldn't have gotten divorced. They're not convinced they're living in adultery right now. Right. Right. And so I just go, so either Either we go back to the drawing board and we enforce a very consistent sexual ethic um, or we adopt the same practices we've adopted about other areas of sexual sin. Mm -hmm. Namely, that that there is something good about having all kinds of sinners in the orbit of the word of God, the community of God, the spirit of God, the sacraments. Yeah. Right. There's something about that. Right. And if I could say, like, you can say, I feel like a part of the, the hypocrisy is that. The symbol, if, if you're taking that symbol of marriage as seriously as you're holding it for the LGBT community, even then it's not fulfilled by, you know, like you said, making the point where Jesus is like, if you're divorced, getting remarried is adultery. You know, it's like we put, it's like in we, we allow in some circumstances, but we allow, we, we, we create concession for those folks to go ahead and get remarried because self-fulfillment and self-purpose in that expression becomes right. more important than the symbol itself. Right. So that, that to me is the, the hugest hypocrisy of the whole thing. It's like, well, you have to yeah. either go all the way on it if you're going to hold it to that, to that one community and then offer concession for this other community just because it has to do with sexual orientation. I think I understand what you're saying. If you're if you're agreeing with me, then I agree with you. Yeah, I'm I'm agreeing with you. Okay. It's just because I think what the nuance <laughs> that I'm hearing in it is that we're we're looking at the tangible action of what the church does, 
by we don't check Correct. we don't check Correct. divorces at the door. Right. But yet, if if we found out, we we would be willing. And I don't say we as in Vox, but perhaps the church at large would be willing to put a remarried divorcee into leadership based on their expression of reconciliation and right. not, all of and it, not everybody, not would. everybody, but, but I feel they'd but be way more be willing than that to do that. Well, of course. Than to let a, a lesbian yes. couple yes. or a yes. gay couple yes. in leadership. Of course. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Of course. Yes. Uh, because the argument is the heterosexual couple at least has the possibility of having a holy union, whereas the homosexual couple never has that possibility. Right. So there's a difference, which is flat out wrong, though, based on what you're pointing out, though, because it's like if 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 well, marriage, yes. right? That's that's if, if exactly they, it. If they've divorced inappropriately, according to Jesus, they're in adultery right now. Right. So it, it's just so to me, the the biggest problem I have with with the article is the the ethic presented, the black and white ethic presented, is simply unlivable in. Um, in in kind of in a reductio ad absurdum way, which is Whoa. if you take it to its extreme, then you realize, okay, so we're now going to have moral behaviors as part of a test of orthodoxy. But secondly, it's solely inconsistent with how we handle other moral issues. Um, and and uh, and so I just go, oh man, I just don't, I just don't know um, how it plays out at a local level. I just don't, mm -mm. I, I don't know how that just to say, Hey guys, we're, we're, there's no room for disagreement on this issue. Now, um, like uh, I can hold, and I do hold a very high view of marriage. I hold an extremely limited view of divorce. I think there are some times where the lesser of two evils is divorce mm -hmm. for sure. And I think scripture gives us permission and I can make theological arguments about that. But the issue is, if we all have the same theology of divorce, yet here are divorced people who um, are have divorced inappropriately and they've remarried inappropriately, and now according to Jesus, they're living, they've committed adultery and living in this adulterous relationship. It's not agreeing to disagree to let them still be here, because they may say, "Hey, I agree with the teaching, right? We right. we may agree on the teaching." But, but to allow them to still participate in the community is not a, an agree to disagree kind of thing. It's right. a, no, no, we both agree. I mean, the, the number of people from the gay community who agree that God's ideal is one man, one woman, and they've yearned for that, and they've prayed for that, and they've married opposite sex for that. They agree that that's the ideal. And yet... They're, they're, no matter how hard they've tried, no matter how hard they've worked, no matter how many times they've prayed, it's not in them. It's not in them to, to do that. Yeah. It's just not in them. And I just go, who's taken, who's taken marriage more seriously? The person that's for 15 years been trying to become something that didn't align with their desires and feelings, right? Or the person that just gets to sit back and say, ah, we agree to disagree. I just go, no, no, no. I just don't, I don't, I don't think that's how it works at a local level. Yeah. Now, this is the big one, Andy Bear. Okay, those were all just cursory objections. My biggest objection to the article is this. It assumes the same binary uh, approach that we're trying to escape. So to agree or disagree assumes that there are only two options, right? Right. We're, we're welcoming and affirming or we're welcoming and non-affirming. And those are the only two options. And, uh, and there is a third option I've already hinted at. It's the don't ask, don't tell option yeah. of kind of the modern megachurch. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to set that one aside because <laughs> that's not a policy as much as it is kind of an underwritten, unwritten sort of culture. Right. 
Um, I want to say, no, no, there's actually a third option. And, and there's an author named David Fitch who uh, teaches in a school in Chicago. And the title of this, I thought, was perfect. And it's, and it's what Vox is teaching me about because it's it, this is the evidence of it he calls it welcoming and mutually transforming that's the posture Ooh. and i was like oh yeah that sounds good and 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 let me just here's the fruit that i see of it so so we have a number of folks who are at different different stages different levels different commitments different uh places in progress about lgbtq issues um and um and some of them are aggressive in their affirming. Some of them are very um, non-aggressive in their affirming. Like, hey, we just want permission to be here. It doesn't matter if you all agree. Others are like, no, no, you really need to agree with us. I mean, it's all over the map. But I've not, I, I've been challenged so much by some of these men and women that they forced me to go back to the scriptures again and again and again to look for look for how Jesus treated people to look at some of these big um these big slam dunk passages to just reconsider what it means to love beyond just tolerate to include not just welcome i mean it, it has been transforming for me to have lgbtq people in our community like i've benefited personally as a jesus follower and that and i don't mean that that my views change necessarily no no, no. I, I still hold the traditional view the ideal is one if you're going to take the bible seriously and, and one of my favorite one of my favorite theologians he just goes he, i love it he he says it he says it dead on he says you know the bible really does condemn all same-sex behavior and it's wrong <laughs> the bible's just wrong the Bible's just wrong on this one. It's pre-worldview. <laughs> pre, pre it's just wrong on this. And I'm like, okay, well, at least you're consistent on this thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so there are all sorts of views out there. To me, I've benefited greatly by hearing the stories um, um, from some of the, the, the gay folks in our community. It has been transformative um, for me as a disciple of Jesus. And we've had people say it's been transformative for them not to be in an, a, a completely open and affirming church. Right. That's the thing that's been so striking right. is that um, is the, 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 the welcoming but non-affirming church. And this is I'm just repeating things uh, can often be very harmful, can force people into hiding, um, can force people just away if we're going to make public pronouncements about it. But, and, and this is coming from, from um, some folks who've attended the opening and affirming churches, they're like, those weren't, those weren't right either. Um, there was, and I, I, don't, I don't know. So I'm speaking like second or third hand here. So mm -hmm. please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure some, some of them aren't this way. But they were just saying there, there wasn't enough robust discipleship called a transformation and enough Jesus. You know, that, that, it, that it had become a niche church not a universal church. Right. And I was like, that is so interesting. Right. And they kind of shared that the, the affirming agenda became a lot more priority than what you just said, you know, transformative, like teaching agenda. about Jesus and yeah. And, um, and so, so to me, this idea of welcoming and mutually transforming is really, really compelling. And it, and it's what I mean when I say, Hey, we've got folks in our community who are affirming, and we've got folks in our community who are not affirming. And we've got folks on both sides of that issue that are uncomfortable with folks on the other side of that issue. Don't we have something to learn? Isn't there transformation that takes place? 
And and from what little I've seen in our, our little church plant, I've got to say, absolutely. I'm seeing it on both sides, transformation take place. And because um, if you only read it as, well, is there a view of sexuality? Is there a view of marriage changing? That is to miss the deeper sanctification work that Jesus wants to do. It's Jesus isn't sanctifying our believings. He's sanctifying our desires. He's sanctifying our practices. He's sanctifying our affections. He's sanctifying where, where it is that we put allegiance. And all of this cannot be captured in a snapshot or in the simple binary categories of affirming or not affirming. Because I'm learning every journey is different, right? In open and affirming churches, sometimes the stories of gay Christians who've chosen to be celibate or who have, at least according to their testimony, experienced a change in their orientation, those stories are ridiculed, mocked, and silenced. Um, and, uh, and likewise in, in the welcoming, but not affirming churches, the stories of people who didn't choose this, who've tried to pray it away, who've done the therapy, who've done everything they can. And yet that attraction persists and, and, and they're wondering if really they're doomed to 70 years of aloneness and celibacy. Mm -hmm. Those stories get suppressed. Uh, very often in those churches. And so so you you just realize the simple binary choice of agree or not agree, that flattens out the individual nature of discipleship, the individual work of the Spirit, and the localization of the communal transformation that happens when people who are all in process, right? It's very, very easy to condemn the sin that you don't struggle with. It's much, much harder to start to... And so so... So let me do this. How do you build a welcoming and mutually transforming community around this issue? Let me give some thoughts, if I may. Uh, you may. Uh, number one, I, I think you, you, stick to, you stick to the text and you stick to the beauty of Jesus. Uh, we'll talk about sexuality, of course. I'll acknowledge that there are other views on this, and I'll tell you what my view is and you can wrestle with that, great, but we're not going to present it as deal breaker stuff because, and this is the big reason why, the the welcoming and mutually transforming community can only be based on the shared realization that we're all broken and that we're all in process. And what that means, every, every church will say, yeah, we're all sinners, but the culture of churches uh, usually has a ranking of what sins are permitted, what sins are not tolerated, right? So gluttony permitted... Um, uh, riches permitted, um, um, you know, porn, unless it's, unless you confess it permitted, uh, divorce, remarriage, you know, unless it's really ugly permitted, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then there'll be the list of things that aren't permitted smoking, <laughs> you know, uh, coming, coming to church in, uh, in shorts, uh, or with tattoos. I mean, you know, it's just every, every kind of community has its own ranking system. So, um, to say that we're all sinners means that as a leader, my position is never to come at somebody from a position of moral authority or power, but it's to come at people from a position of, no, no, I'm actually the biggest sinner in the room. And we talk about this a lot on the podcast, right? That I literally, Mike Erie, is the biggest sinner in the room that Andy and I are now occupying. Mm -hmm. Now, he's a close second. I have no doubt about that. But, but the posture is, and Jesus is so clear about this, if you're going to correct another, take care to remove the plank in your own eye before you remove the speck in theirs. In other words, how do you see sin? Is your sin bigger or another sin bigger? Well, Jesus is really clear on this. Your sin, you should always see your sin is bigger than the other person's sin. Why? Mm -hmm. 
because you're the only inside that you know. You're the only motives that you know. You're the only like dark recesses of the heart that you know. Every other judgment I'm making about other people is based on what I'm seeing on the outside. And then I'm projecting something onto the inside that may or may not be true. Right. That's why Jesus prohibits the judgments that lead to condemnation, but allows the discernments that allow disciples to say, this is a way of living and speaking and talking that lead to flourishing in the kingdom. And these are ways of not living and breathing and talking that don't lead to flourishing. Right. 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 Uh, you know, it's funny. Like I, as you were saying that it's the first time I thought about it uh, this way. I think often um, the plank is subjective to our own kind of moral compass. Like we read that and it's it's like, it's simply saying I have sinned, so I better reconcile my sin before I even begin to criticize others. And it's funny how you said it now where it's like, because Jesus says there's a plank in your eye and there's a speck in theirs, it's this funny thing to think about. It's because Jesus says to him, your sin is far more important to him than the other. Right. It's kind of like that. That's a bit of an orientation tweak. It's not, yes. okay, well, how do I, okay, well, let me look at it and kind of figure out, like, well, mine's not as big as this one over here. No, no, that guy's a plank and mine's more of the spec. So I can still go at it and still criticize it and speak into it. I feel like I can approach it. Right. But that's, that's under the conclusion that I'm defining how big the sin is. Right. When Jesus is flat out just saying, no, no, the sin you have is a plank in my point of view compared right. to a spec that they have. So no, by no means do you go after it. It's, it's And if you build a community of people like that, Andy, you get a whole bunch of people who see the planks. Yeah. So that when so let's say you confront me on a sin. So I struggle with uh I've not made no secret of the fact that pornography has been a consistent lifelong struggle for me. And let's say uh and let's say you see me or catch me or hear about or whatever. There are two ways you can come to me as a friend. One is from a position of moral authority. How could you do this? Um, uh, I just don't get it. I mean, we've talked about this. Come on, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or you can come at it as the fellow journeyer, the fellow struggler, the fellow still calling me out. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're not we're not saying that in mutually uh, in mutually transforming and welcoming communities, we don't we don't call sin sin. No, no, no. It's how it's how we walk with each other. It's how that we approach with each how we approach each other. So so if Andy's coming at me saying, "Listen, I may not struggle with the same issue, but in my struggle with X." Right. This is these are the things that have been really, really helpful, blah, blah, blah. That's just a whole different conversation. There's a humility to it. So for me, I, I think rightly one of the one of the um, objections that many in the LGBTQ community have about our sexual ethics is that we've been very uh, eager to point out the sexual sin that they practice while staying totally silent about our own. Right. As if yeah. simply being a heterosexual made one holy. Right. Right. So so that double standard has to be removed. And uh, and the way that you do that is you you build the community on the fact that we're all broken. You also build the community on the table of Jesus, that everyone's welcome at the table and um, and that uh, that Jesus isn't looking for sets of behaviors. He's not looking for sets of believings. He's looking for hearts that are open. And some of those hearts are open less than other hearts. And some of those hearts become more open over time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's looking for hearts that are open. And so, so we're united by our shared brokenness and sinfulness. We're united by our shared response to the message of Jesus and our shared welcome. And, and then I think if you're going to build a, a welcoming and mutually transforming um, uh, community, the last thing you should do is make public pronouncements about whether you're for or against stuff when it comes to 
LGBTQ issues. Mm -hmm. Why? Because all of those pronouncements will be misunderstood. None of them do justice to the nuances of individual stories. They flatten out stories. But I think the third reason is they really inhibit mission. Preaching against something or having a statement against something is not missional engagement or simply saying, yep, yeah, we're, we're open to anything you're into. That's not representing the, the, the subversive call of Jesus to deny yourself and take up your cross. And so, so if you get a whole group of people who've opened their lives to Jesus in progressively open ways, right? Some, some very on the very beginnings of the journey, some having been followers for decades, you get people that believe that their sin is a bigger issue than anyone else's before God. And if you get a whole group of people who are willing to be around others who aren't like them and don't believe like them and don't act like them, then I think what you begin to get is a community that looks and feels a bit like Jesus. And there is a process where I do believe um, uh, the, the mutually transformative part um, actually begins to rub off, that, that the, the non-affirming folks um, become more um, opened up to their gay brothers and sisters, and their, the, our gay brothers and sisters uh, become more opened up to um, the, that not all non-affirming people are hateful bigots and you know mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. I mean, you just begin to be family together. Yeah. And, uh, and who knows what God will do with that? See, the, the assumption in the Bible is that we come not knowing which of our desires is disordered. We come not knowing which of our, our affections is corrupted. We come, and it's only in the submission to this community um, filled by the Spirit, directed by the Scriptures, um, that, that we begin to learn what, this, what Jesus walking will be like for us. Uh, and the people that we're doing life with. And, and at that point, who knows where it's going to go, mm -hmm. right? I'm not the same person I was 15 years ago, and there's no way I could have predicted what Jesus has done in the meantime. Mm -hmm. So I'm just not willing to decide ahead of time uh, what how this thing's going to play out. I don't know. Right. It'll be interesting to see. Now, Andy Bear, mm -hmm. thoughts? Um, so I guess I, I in a way I, I still, okay, so all, all of that to me feels like a, a, a complete thought with um, a mutually transformative, uh, transformative community. It does go back to my first question when we started this thing. Oh boy! So it's because I think some of the layer here is I'm I'm thinking, what why why as a pastor and a teacher is it so important to have an answer and a leadership into something like this? Because that seems like the that top layer conversation is this article saying from some form of like authority that a stance needs to be taken. And we yeah. see churches make stances. Yep. And it, it, part of it for me is like, why, what, what is the biblical and scriptural thing that says a organization, a church, a leader and a pastor has to make that stance okay. because the idea is that what happens if we're wrong, right? Like, well, what's, what's the worst case scenario? If, On both if, sides? If, well, all three sides, okay. Affir affirming, you okay. know, affirming, non-affirming right. and mutually transforming. It's see, that's where it's funny to me. Cause I mean, I think it's partly then right. other teachers point fingers at each other's calling heretic or not. Like right. to me, that just seems like that's the game. Well, okay. So yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Annie bear. Good stuff, man. Um, so, so, why why do we feel the need to make pronouncements? Well, we have throughout the New Testament um, the clear delineations between good teaching and false teaching. Okay, 
Um, and and that part of the job of the apostles of the church leadership um, was to distinguish true and false teaching. Okay. So so you have that practice. Then you have the practice of the early church, which was to meet and to convene around huge issues that Jesus never talked about. One of the most compelling reasons why I believe the New Testament is true is that the that the early church didn't invent teachings of Jesus to answer. The, the current controversies. Like you could just have simply said, oh, here's this big controversy about Jews and Gentiles in the early church. Oh yeah, Jesus did address this and they make up some ad hoc teaching, okay. right? They never did that. They had to do the hard work of wrestling and discerning and being mutually transformed. Now they did land, of course they landed on things. And so the issue is, the objection to me is, okay, well, Mike, you can't just be mutually transforming forever, right? At some point, at some point, someone's going to say, hey, do you believe it's wrong? Uh, at some point, someone's going to say, do you believe it's okay? At some point, someone's going to ask you to perform a gay a wedding ceremony or to ask if Vox would sponsor one or to ask, you know, whatever. Right. So, so why not just get all of that, do all of that work ahead of time? My point is, listen, a policy is never going to handle that. I would never, I would never put those conversations on a policy for crying out loud. That is, to me, that is just cheap and easy work. But why do we feel like we have to have pronouncements? Well, there's just really good reason why the church has always, when big questions have arisen, they've kind of formalized what the church's thinking is going to be. And, uh, and then they let people know that. Now, much of that has been done in a, in a Christendom context, and this is my response to their objection, mm-hmm. is that you don't see the earliest church walking around, you know, with, with uh, having public pronouncements about um, uh, prostitution or slavery or things that were very, very common in the Roman world. You see them, yes, they would teach on these things, but you see them... Um, not advocate the absolute revolution of cultural forms, but instead planting the seeds of revolution while at the same time trying not to hinder the work of the gospel within those culturally embedded forms. Mm-hmm. So yes, we're, 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 we realize slaves are still going to exist. So how, do, how does the master-slave relationship get transformed by Jesus? So what you see in the early church is in a non-Christendom context. And by Christendom, I mean where... A lot of the language, concepts, cultural values are held in common around Christian teaching. In a non-Christendom context, I don't see public pronouncements ever being made. um, And I don't see public pronouncements as particularly helpful in terms of mission. Hmm. In Christendom contexts where churches were splitting and denominations were forming, and I, I think all of that was helpful and understood. Now all it does... The, the biblical vision of sex cannot be captured by being for or against gay marriage. End of, the, I mean, end of story. Why would you substitute the biblical vision for sex for that little bitty tagline? Yeah. Right? To me, you've prejudged the thing and you've robbed people from mm. actually getting into the nitty gritty of the text and the community and seeing what God mm. does in the midst of it. Mm. So in a Christendom context, public pronouncements were great. These days, I think public pronouncements are harmful. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have convictions. I just mean, am I really going to put on our website, hey, here's our statement about marriage, right? I just, right. Don't, I, I just don't, whether you're open and affirming or not open and affirming, to me, you either niche yourself either way or you inhibit your interaction and engagement with the gay community mm-hmm. either way. 
Go ahead. So to to me, it sounds like there's it's this line between the difference. I is it almost an irony where, in a way of trying to protect against false teaching, we're putting policy in place, which in fact is not false teaching. Like it's kind of it's put. We're making policy up, in like it, by make like by what he's saying, right? To agree to not disagree, right. or to agree to disagree, you have to have this. It's a, it seems like more of a policy more than it's not protecting false teaching. You well, know, it's kind of it's it. Okay, but here's it, it but, feels a little Wells and Fences to me. That's why. Okay, but, but but here's the difference. So, um, same-sex marriage is really a proxy for a lot of other hugely important issues. So, same-sex marriage, your view on same-sex marriage um, to to the conservative side will reveal your view of biblical authority. Okay. So so the reason the reason we care about these statements is because your view on that shows your view on other things. Is the Bible authority or your experience of other people? Mm-hmm. Uh, does does grace trump love or does, or excuse me, does love, does grace trump truth or does truth trump grace, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, same-sex marriage is a proxy for a whole host of other cultural issues. Right. How do we see gender, male-female relationships, the, the nature of marriage, but all of those get wrapped into, well, how do you see the Bible? Right. If the Bible's clear, um, why wouldn't we just say that it's clear and call people to that? So uh, the other thing is that the conservatives would say, no, it is actually false teaching because they're redefining male, female. They're redefining a covenant that God made called marriage um, and they're blessing people in their sin and not calling them to repentance so that they're becoming hardened in rebellion instead of softened by the call to repentance. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, so I, I am totally, cause I've been, I've been one of these people. I'm totally sympathetic to, Hey, this is not an issue we agree to disagree on. The church has been consistent for 2000 years. The Bible is clear on this and where it's silent, you should read it silence as condemning, not as permitting. Right? So, so if you say, well, yeah, the Bible doesn't talk about, you know, committed same-sex relationships, um, okay, well, let's say that it did. On what basis can you give any evidence that it would approve them? The only yeah. evidence seems to be that it would not approve them, right? I mean, that's yeah. these yeah, are yeah. the arguments. Right. And why would we want to bait and switch people? Why mm-hmm. would we be all welcoming and then and then all of a sudden they the gay people come into our community and realize they can't be in leadership, they can't serve communion, they can't do this, they can't do that? Mm-hmm. Um, wouldn't it just be more kind to just let them know ahead of time what our view is? So I, I get all of that. Yeah. I th- and, and, and doesn't the gospel demand that before um, we accept Jesus, we realize that we're sinners? Mm-hmm. Now, I have responses to all of those things, um, and people would have responses to me. But I, 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 I don't, I, I, I totally see, I, 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 I totally see um, what this person is arguing and why I think they're arguing it and, and why... I, I think that that's a legitimate um, position for loads of people and why it's attractive to people who aren't comfortable with this muddy middle ground that we're walking in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I And Vox, Vox exists for the people in the muddy middle ground. Vox doesn't exist for the people who are settled on this. Yeah. Um, uh, I want to walk in the muddy middle with folks. Right. and Because uh, I do think there's mutual transformation that goes on there. Right. And uh, the only people that aren't safe at Vox are the people that that insist that everyone else has to believe on this the way they do. And we're just going to say, well, okay, 
you can still believe that, but the minute you're out, you know, um, uh, condemning another person for their lack of believing the way that you believe, now we're going to have right. we're going to have issues. Right. See, I th- I think that's what, and I think that's where this boils down to me and filters down to it is that the the ideal to say like you're doing church wrong if you're not doing it non-affirming and you're not basically making a stance that this is what this is how you're welcome right you know versus we're saying welcome and we're mutually transforming to me it's like these are policy issues like this to me isn't like a, a teaching or this isn't a false teaching issue to me no, no i got it that so that's i think that's where i'm like but I, they but I they would argue otherwise they that's, would say that's totally a teaching yes issue. and that's what and that's what i'm saying to me that's where the rubber meets the road for us right. is that they would say this is false teaching right. by offering a mutually transformative community versus yes thank you that okay. that yeah that it's it's that it's being soft on sin, that it's not calling people enough to repentance with enough vigor, right? That it's um, that it is allowing people to remain in their sin, mm-hmm. and we're blessing them in it. You know, right. they can come take communion, they can sit and participate, they right. can volunteer. You know, blah blah blah. Yeah, and so they're being hardened uh, because we're not confronting their sin, mm-hmm. right? So those are all of the those are all of the critiques, and if we're wrong. Right then, then absolutely. I mean, the scripture is so clear that that teachers uh, are held accountable more strictly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, I there is fear and trembling um, <laughs> in this, and and it would be easier to just have a policy, yeah, you know, or a public stance because I can even even my, I I I can see why nobody wants to talk about these issues if they work for a church, mm-hmm. because you can't help but offend somebody. And you can't help but have somebody see you as a heretic on either side of the issue. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so it's so so anytime we do one of these podcasts, Andy, I hate it because <laughs> I'm still in process. I'm still working this out. Uh, but this gets this gets cemented in on on the internet as if you know this was kind of a hardened sort of way of thinking. Uh, and I can just hear all the objections. I can hear all my conservative mm-hmm. friends going, "Man, this guy's so freaking liberal." And I can all I can hear all my liberal friends going, "Dang it, this guy's still so freaking come conservative. on, just come all the way, <laughs> right? What are you doing?" <laughs> and uh, and so it's so it's so hard to be in this space, and it's so easy to be judged and criticized in this space, and it's so that's why it's just easy not to to talk about it. But I thought I thought the article was. Um, was really good because the last thing I, I don't want to do is engage with people who disagree with our stance on this. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the, if we're going to talk about anything, then that's one of the core things we're going to do is we got to engage with people who really think we're wrong. Yeah. And, um, and you know, the, the guy that forwarded this, he's not, he, he doesn't, he, he still has questions about it. And so I love this. Um, and I don't know that we've answered them to, to a place that will make him comfortable. But, but uh, you know, is that the goal? I don't know. Um, so anyway, and I can imagine our, our LGBTQ listeners going, you know, you guys are idiots. Uh, so, so if you're all disappointed, hallelujah, we've done our job. Uh, support our Patreon account. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, know. yeah. Let, help, you know, if you really want us to grow and transform, we just yes. need you to keep kind of throwing <laughs> coins in the slot so that way you can, yeah, what's going to happen is the more conservative uh, supporters will see us go one way and they'll That's right, that's right. We'll just say, yeah, yeah, the biggest givers win. Yeah. Um, so, so brothers and sisters, again, I mean, you know, 
I know that there are other other issues to talk about. But um, the thing that's so interesting and, and why I wanted to talk about it today is because this is where the podcast intersects with our church. Mm. And, um, and the discussions we've been having on the podcast are really informing the practices in our church and the practices in our church are now informing the discussions we're having on the podcast. Sure. Yeah. And so starting a church out of a podcast, this is where it gets really interesting to me. And, uh, and so I think it's totally legit to have people go, what in the world are you guys doing? Um, and, uh, what are you thinking? And so anyway, we, we submit this to you and, uh, for your consideration, um, feel free to disagree, uh, because the goal isn't that you agree with us. The goal, as Paul says, is that you would be fully convinced in your own mind and that, and that we would, regardless of where you land on the issue, um, we would be the kinds of people who display the fruit of the spirit towards everybody, um, that we are filled with love, joy, and peace, um, and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control mm-hmm. that there is a tangible quality to how we treat people who disagree that's different than how uh, non-Jesus people treat people who disagree. Even the author of this article who would hear this and go, nope, <laughs> well, I'm going to agree to disagree with that. Right. Um, I will agree to accept that you think I'm wrong. Right, exactly. Which is basically agree to disagree. <laughs> So, so anyway, we are, uh, <laughs> we are in just the weirdest space, but we're thrilled, uh, as always. And I know I say this every week, but it's so true. We are so delighted to be a part of your life and we're so delighted by the response to this. And we genuinely and deeply want it to be helpful and we want it to make Jesus beautiful because he is, and he doesn't need our help to do it. But we do think there are some things that get cluttered and in the way. So to that end, my brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may he give you peace. Until next time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.